A-L-T-C-O-M-I-C-S. Okay, so we're here with Peter S. Conrad, who's come to pay us a visit. Hello, hello. Glad to be here. You want to tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do? Sure. So um, I guess uh, you could call me a uh, a serial artist or um, an aspiring graphic novelist or a cartoonist or a comic book artist, depending on... Uh, depending on who you're talking to, I've been called all of those things. Most of what I do is um, sort of stories that happened uh, in my own life, uh, although I occasionally do just, you know, funny ideas that come to me. So um, I consider myself less of a cartoonist and more of, I guess, a uh, uh, guy who does a public diary by drawing pictures. How about that? Okay. Um, what's some of your publication history? Like, how do you get the work out there? Uh, that's actually changed a lot. That's an interesting question. Uh, when I started doing it in the mid-90s, uh, getting artwork out there basically was done with scotch tape and Xerox machines and, you know, drawing stuff and shrinking it down and folding and stapling. And now most of what I do, I do on uh, on my websites Although there are publishers who like to publish um, anthologies and other uh, collections of of this kind of work. So uh, I've got three coming up that I can talk about now. Uh, one of them is by the lovely Delane Derry Green. It's called Not My Small Diary, and issue 19 just came out. It's about unexplained events. Um, and I, I usually participate in that one. I've got a story in, in 19 as well. One that's coming out really soon from Birdcage Bottom Books, which is run by my friend J.T. Yost, uh, is called Bottoms Up. And this is an interesting project. What happened uh, for this one is he collected anonymous stories from people who had had some sort of uh, hitting bottom experience and then enlisted artists to provide um, pictures to, you know, comics to express the story. Um, and I have a very interesting one about someone who ended up drinking a lot and taking a lot of crystal meth in Las Vegas and, you know, things got a little wild there. Uh, and then the one that I'm currently working on won't come out until next year, I think in March. It's called Built on Strange Ground, and this is stories about weird, haunted places. Uh, and my story in that one is about a Victorian inn in Eureka, California, uh, where odd things began to happen after we started staying there. So you did research up in Eureka, basically? It, kind of accidentally. accidentally. What actually happened was uh, it was New Year's, and we decided to take a little bit of time and, and just drive around without much of a plan. So we got in the car and started driving around, and we ended up there. And the way we were doing it was not really, like, booking ahead we didn't go oh let's go to eureka and and find hotels there uh we sort of just started driving and went well we're close to eureka and it's dinner time let's find a hotel and this inn seemed really like charming and cute and when we got there 
it was full of people. I think um, there was like a Latvian group that had checked in. And, uh, you know, just like what you would expect, like cute, charming, a little bit uh, campy, because it's uh, supposed to be a historical experience almost. And, well, things things got weird from there. I don't want to spoil it. Okay. Um, so I'm wondering, uh, what's sort of the whole length of the gestation uh, process from, like, when you sort of first, you know, make contact with uh, these projects? All of them sound like they're... Uh, fairly project specific it's not like you have a story that you're shopping around to an anthology it's like the work you're doing is tied into what the book is and then from you know say initial contact to where you're commissioned to do the story to uh sounds like most of these have a fundraising process to release what what kind of time frame are we talking about here it's usually a few months to a year Mm -hmm. um so i've actually uh been involved in putting out a couple of anthologies myself and, and sort of seen things from the other side of the curtain, as it were. Um, not My Small Diary, for example, uh, she gives her artists about a year to do the work. So behind the scenes, I think that she's probably taking extra time to pick a theme and contact everybody and so forth. When I've put out anthologies, I think that I've tried to give people at least six months or a year for the deadline. It, yeah, it takes about a year to put out a book and it takes about, um, it's good to give people long deadlines, but it actually probably takes, uh, let's see, depending on, depending on what else I've got going on and how fast I'm working, it could be like a couple hours to do a page or like a week to do a page. Mm-hmm. Do you draw every day? <sighs> You sound like my New Year's resolution. <laughs> That's um, my August resolution. If I make it through the month, I'm like, well, maybe I'll keep going. I, I started on, I think, July 29th or something and haven't gotten there today yet, but, you know, here's hoping. Last night, it was kind of pushing 10 p.m., and I finally got a drawing out. So Yeah. No, I, I look around and I see um, people that I, you know, quote unquote, grew up with where, you know... 15 or 20 years ago, you're looking at people and going, hey, my work is crappy and his work is crappy and her work is crappy and we're all friends. And I watch them like make the choices to stick with the art and really be dedicated. Uh, Well, I have a daughter and a family and a job. And so I've sort of watched these people pass me and become really amazing. And, uh, you know, not that I'm not uh, also amazing, aren't we? Well, your, your work is clearly accomplished. <laughs> well, thanks. You you seem competent, young man. <laughs> um, but uh, but I feel like um, I I feel like a sham so much of the time because I've made choices that were about like comfort and you know preparing for retirement and having a family where I've seen people you know decide to just put the pedal to the metal on the art and then become successful at that. So I'm not working for Nickelodeon or... Uh, yeah, but then you wouldn't be cartooning at that point. Well, right. True. Yeah, the the whole thing's a, a kind of a dangerous uh, balancing act, I guess. Either, either way. Yeah. So I guess the answer is, um, this week I have, I've got a, a couple of graphic novels that have been sort of kicking around in in notes and file folders and, and sketchbooks. And one of them, uh, I... I have been trying for about seven years to figure out an entry point to get into it. It seems like such a big monolithic 
project and without like a way in, I haven't been able to start it. And then last weekend, I figured out a way in, uh, and I did uh, fifty rough page layout sketches in a week. Oh, that's pretty good. Yeah, so we'll see. It it could actually come to fruition. Mm-hmm. It's about um, a uh, uh, a job that I had at a company that is pretty famous. Um, and I don't want to. This brings up another thing. You know, I'm I'm talking about the way that I remember real events with real people. Uh, so I want to talk to a lawyer before I <laughs> reveal anything. Right. We we don't want to get the libel lawsuit process started with this show. That's right. Enough said. Yeah. But um something will come out and it you know, if I have to fictionalize the name I'll do it, but um either way I think people will recognize who some of the people in the story are. Okay. <laughs> Fair enough. Lo- local ish company. We'll say that. Local ish company. Uh just like to mention that we're here in Cupertino in the heart of the Silicon Valley. Home of Apple computers and wow, cool. I would also like to say ish, 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 local ish, yeah, local ish within uh, within fifty miles. Okay, within fifty miles. Okay, so I'm opening up one of your mini comics here from a couple of years ago, and the first thing that catches my eye is we've got this this Volkswagen thing, the the, the bug, the the Beetle, whatever those are called, the the, the kind of little round car. Yeah. Uh, what is up with cartoonists in that model of car? Do you actually own drive one of these? Have you? Have you had more than one? Uh, I have one now, um, but it, the important thing is that it's one of the most fun things to draw. I think. Is it the more kind of modern version, or is no. it uh, the, the classic? Yeah, mine's uh, it's a '73 Super Beetle, but um, is it a Wolfsburg or is it Mexican made? It's a uh, good question. Oh. Uh, this one. Welcome I'm... to Car Talk. <laughs> yeah. And and don't drive like my brother. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, I miss uh, I miss uh, Tommy. Anyway. Um, I'm going to go ahead and say this one is made in America. Okay. And I'll explain. A guy who in the 60s used to like fix up bugs and play with bugs and so on and so forth. Um, In his later years in, uh, I guess, when did I get it? 2008. uh, Decided to build a bug just to see if he still had his chops. And then he built it and... uh, put it up on craigslist for sale so it's a 73 super beetle with probably a 68 or 69 motor not the correct not even the correct model of motor for the car it's a single port instead of the dual port engine uh and he just like you know he got the jc whitney seat covers and the dash cover and got a motor that worked and a generator that you know didn't really work and you know, it got something running together, and uh, it took me about two or three years to iron out all the trouble. Uh, but now it's it's very reliable, all things considered. Just a kind of a Frankenstein of a car, though. Uh, that is pretty impressive. I was, uh, for a while, a driver of the, the Rabbit Horizon Omni kind of model uh, of car and all the bizarreness that those entailed. Yes, yes. Very, very strange... They had the power to fix themselves until they fell apart. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, uh, on at least one occasion. Oh, and this, I, I've got a topic I can tie in back, get us back on comics. Okay. But on, on, 
at least one occasion when I was uh, going somewhere in the bug with my daughter and other people in the car, I had to pull over and stop because my seat became completely unbolted randomly. Okay. I mean, it's just that kind of a thing happens with bugs. You never know. You know, you get in, you get somewhere, but you might not get where you thought you were going. So how this ties into comics is one project that's kind of on the back of my uh, back of my mind, and I haven't figured out quite how to attack it, which uh, I guess is a theme with me, is uh, I want to do an autobiography, which is interesting stories from my life viewed through the lens of what car I was driving at the time. Because I've had a lot of cars, I've had a lot of weird things happen with cars, and I've had a lot of weird cars. So the the story that sort of provides the foundation for this idea is this time when I had this Volvo wagon, and a guy that I was sharing a house with stole it and sold it to somebody else, and I had to go steal it back. They're boxy, but they get good mileage. Yeah, this one, uh, this one was boxy, but really bad. Um, the last time that I actually drove it, I lost the exhaust system, the electrical system failed, uh, the clutch had oil on it, so it was slipping, the overdrive failed, the top of the gear shift came off, the button for rolling the window up and down sank into the armrest, just like everything, by the time that we finally ground to a stop by the side of the road... The only light we were getting, because the headlights were gone, because the electrical system had failed, the only light we were getting was from the sparks off of the exhaust manifold. So, you know, there there will be a comic. There, there will, will be a be, comic. Yeah, and, and I wasn't friends with this guy for a long time, but, you know, through the magic of Facebook, uh, you know, we're we're back in touch and bygones are bygones. Yeah, that that can be interesting. Yeah. Yeah, it's the magic of Facebook. <laughs> yeah. Which I should point out is a localish company. They are by, localish. I by think coincidence. Menlo Park now? Yeah. Okay. I remember when they're in Palo Alto. Yeah. And my I, my Facebook picture for a long time was me and my kid with the Facebook logo on the building. Yes. And I think that confused people. Yeah. Yeah. So I also remember when they were in Palo Alto. Yes. I think they're in a couple different bits of Palo Alto. Yeah. Uh, well, they uh, they had one office at 1601 California Street, and then yep. they opened another one kind of down closer to El Camino. Yeah, they kind of ruined that street, I think. It was like there was only so much there, and there was a lot of old stuff there, and all of a sudden there was like fancier restaurants and whatnot on California. Yeah, I, I think it's um, – well, the the residential part of the street has gotten better again because, right. of course, they've torn down that old building and put up housing. So you're not getting shuttle buses up and down that street all the time. And then California Street, uh, the last couple times I've been there, I've been for the farmer's market, which kind of obscures all the stores. Right. Uh, There's still some old stuff. There is. Don't, don't get me wrong. You know, I I will always miss Printers Inc., which now is uh, Printers Cafe. It's mm. just a cafe, but it used to be a bookstore yes. where that sort of card shop is now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was a great kind of. Um, I I like to think of it as having straddled uh, the chasm between mainstream and kind of a little bit radical. And did you follow uh, No New Books? 
I I've been there a couple of times. Uh, they're in uh, Menlo Park, right? Uh, no new books was on California. And oh yes, then they yes, yes. Briefly moved, I think with totally different people, but I could be wrong. To um, Los Altos. Um, and watch me bring it back around again, because uh, I used to go into these old rare and used bookstores looking for specific books that I had had as a kid or that I had read to my brothers and sisters when they were young. Uh, one of them was, um, it's I think it's called Who Needs Donuts by Mark Allen Stamati. Okay. Uh, I always said Stamate. Stamate. The That's... Village Voice cartoonist. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he's I, great. My Greek is not good, so I'm going to defer to you. Okay. Um. And uh, and then of course the internet came along, and I was able to find a copy that way. And then it came out again, so I bought copies for people I thought should have it. I'm going to have to be on the lookout. That that sounds like for me like uh, I am blind is and my dog is dead. Uh, uh, Sam Gross. It's S Gross. I assume it's a Sam. Oh, S Gross. Yeah. New Yorker. Stuff and National Lampoon, I think, as well. Yeah, he died. Very possibly, yes. Yeah. And he, I would consider him and Mark Allen Stamati uh, almost polar opposites because Stamati is more like his his drawings range up to being actually really intricate, and his, um, his material has like this sense of wonder to it at least from what I've seen, even when he was doing political cartoons. And uh, Gross is like, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say he's the Sam Henderson of his day, <clears throat> like very um, like quick drawing, quick joke, and not afraid to go blue. Right. When it's required, which I, for I, Gross I think was a lot of the time. Anyone who needs to know any clarification on what going blue entails, just send a self-addressed stamped envelope, care of this station. Yeah. I, by way of explanation, I'll say that, um, oh, uh, what's his face who used to host America's Funniest Home Videos? Bob Saget. Bob Saget. Um, he, the master of the world's dirtiest joke. Yeah. Yes. It, when you see him on, you know, whatever that sitcom was, or you see his stand-up, totally sure. different worlds. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. And so I, for anyone who hasn't seen The Aristocrats, you go right out there and you watch that. Yeah. Trust us. You yeah. will be doing yourself a favor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's a whole whole separate show. Yeah, that is. I I don't have very much good uh to say about Bob Saget. <laughs> but I A like, lot of people don't. I, I from what I've gathered, but yeah. we're we're living in different times suddenly. Yeah. Uh, I'm I'm not quite sure why that is. So I want to talk to you a little bit about Attempted Not Known. Now, yeah. this is a series of experiments, or what is it exactly? What's, yeah. It's, it's obviously a reference to our, our fine postal service. It is. Uh, actually, um, I don't know if anybody's ever uh, asked about the origin of the name. I'm, I'm very curious. Yeah. So um, I don't know why I had this idea, but I had this idea of... Um, writing to celebrities and asking them to tell me a dream that they had, kind of in the vein of um, Jesse Recklaw. He's a guy I'm sure you know, but for your audience, uh, he did a, a comic strip called Slow Wave, which used to appear in a fairly large number of these things that used to be called newspapers. 
Yes, and Dream Tunes, I, I believe, is the Dream Tunes is we, the book. We are yeah. now sold out of that title. I'm sad to say. Yeah, but it's yeah, it's an excellent uh, thing to pick up if you get it back in stock. People should come in droves or huffs. To get complete uh, completely off topic, have you uh, checked out Couch Tag? I was just looking at that actually. A I ago. highly recommended. Okay, it's that's possibly is is top. Ah, but okay. he may top it. Yeah, my uh, my only question was whether I have it or not already, and I don't think I do. It's gotten to that point, you know. I I'm aware of that dilemma. Yeah. Yes. So anyway, I had this idea of writing to celebrities and asking them to relate dreams that they had had, and um, this was in the dawn of the internet, before the first cat video had been posted. And there were sites that purported to have celebrities' mailing addresses because uh, people wanted to write to them and collect autographs. And so I just put together a giant list and wrote a, a letter and printed out, you know, a huge number of copies of this letter and went to the post office from time to time and sent out batches of 10 or 20 or 100 letters to random celebrities. And I got some replies... And I actually did a couple of them, but I also got a lot of things back that said attempted not known. And I thought, nah, that's a good name for a zine. So I took it. Okay. So you weren't involved with Fluxus and the uh, male art movement or anything like that? No. Okay. No. We, we should clarify that point. There's been a lot of Fluxus related conflict uh, around our shop. Really? Oh, yeah. I'm not kidding. Wow. Okay. Ah, story for another time. So then the format that, that these appear in, uh, I'm looking here at what is the the size, shape, and function of a cigarette box, but you open it up, and inside, oh, they look like cigarettes, but that is in fact a book, and then there's a whole bunch more books in it. So what's going on here? So these are 20 individual comics about smoking. Now, were you a smoker? At one point, yes. How I'm long have, has it been? And what was the time frame between you smoking, quitting, and doing this work? Well, uh, let's see. I I mostly smoked in college. Um, I quit uh, for the most part. Well... I think I, I smoked to a certain degree when I was driving limos, which was in the 90s. You were a limo driver I was in the a 90s limo driver, in the yeah. Bay Area. Uh, yeah. Uh, New dot, York. Dot com era? Before Silicon that. Silicon Alley? No. Yeah. So I um, I drove limos in New York for about a year and okay. then out here for about a year. All right. And it was all before uh, anything crazy happened. So this was all proms? Proms, weddings, um, Rosa Parks. Okay. Uh, James Earl Jones. Okay. Former Secretary of of State Cyrus Vance. Um, Mostly, though, it was like, uh, you know, people wanted to go to a restaurant. The guy's going to propose to his girlfriend or um, a random, like, three couples who live near each other discovered that it's cheaper than getting the shuttle van because... Shuttle van at sixty bucks a person, and six of them three hundred and sixty bucks, and the limo to the airport is only one seventy five or whatever, and so you end up with like six um, talkative elderly people who don't mind being up at four thirty in the morning, and all their golf bags, 
you know, that kind of stuff. So not not all amazing stories, but one or two amazing stories in there. So is there some sort of special path to be a limo driver versus, say, just, you know, drive a yellow cab? Or how does that work? Well, it's been a while. Um, I think now to drive a limo, you might actually need a Class B license. At the time, you didn't. Um, and when I was living in Poughkeepsie, New York, I did actually go down to a cab company and say, hey, so, you know, what's the deal with this job? And the guy says, well, uh, you know, it's a 12-hour shift, and um, we take half the money, and you buy your own gas, but we let you use the car. All you got to do is go down to the DMV and get your picture taken for your hack license. And uh, most guys do pretty good. You know, 12 hours, they'll net like 50, 60 bucks. And I just turned around and walked away. <laughs> Those are in 1980s uh, values, I, I suspect. That's uh, 92. Now, so were you in uh, Poughkeepsie for school? or? Yeah. Yeah, I went to school in Poughkeepsie. What school's in Poughkeepsie? Vassar. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah. I'm like, I know New Paltz is here. So now you can go, <laughs> I don't know, whatever. If you want to plug your uh, alma mater, you, you know, by all means. Uh, no, I don't care. Okay. Um, yeah. So, uh, so yeah, I was living in Poughkeepsie. I went to school there and I, and I ended up kind of just out in the wild and then the, the economy crashed and I had a bunch of really kind of odd jobs ranging from like, um, I worked for a, a software company, oddly enough, that was doing typesetting in various languages and I was helping them categorize Japanese characters. Uh, and I worked at a landfill and I worked in an architect's office, and I drove limos, and I was a tutor to Japanese IBM employees' kids, and I worked at a sign shop for a week. I mean, it was it was weird. It's typical you know, Poughkeepsie experience. Yeah, deckhand on the clear water. Yeah, exactly. You know, actually, janitor at the Quaker school. I never got to meet um, Pete Seeger. Pete Seeger, but uh, one of my professors from college actually was really close friends with him. And I just, it never worked out. Hmm. I've been on the Clearwater. It wasn't moving. There wasn't anyone there. It was in yeah. the middle of the night um, with a bunch of Oak Ridge students uh, when I think, yeah, we must have all been uh, in high school still. So yeah. that's that's my Pete Seeger experience. If we're talking about the Guthrie family, on the other hand, oh, I got stories. But, oh, cool. Oh, we'll save that for another time. We're here to talk to Peter S. Conrad about comics. Damn it. Damn it, yeah. Damn it. So the the cigarette thing um, actually was the first, first? Yes. Uh, The first um, where I started to experiment with the format. So uh, issue number eight, I cut a hole in the cover, and there's a picture you can see through the cover, and I'm like, okay, that's cool. And then I did the cigarette pack one, and then I did one um, in the shape of a Rubik's Cube, uh, and in the shape of a Rubik's Cube, what do you mean by that exactly? Yeah, well, when I say in the shape of, what I really mean is that I bought Rubik's Cubes and put my own stickers on them. And when you turn it, you get different stories, obviously, because you're moving the panels around. And then it's it's like most of my work, it's in black and white. But the uh, the panels themselves, each one has a color hint in it. So it would be like, you know, they'll talk about blueberries or there'll be an orange road cone or whatever. So theoretically, if you pay attention to the color hints, you could get it back to its initial state, theoretically. Okay. 
Um, and then I did one that uh, mimicked the look and uh, the look and feel of a cassette tape. Yeah, I wish you had some of those. I'm, I'm curious. I'm, I'm big on cassettes. Uh, yeah, I'll, I will have to get you some of those. Um, now, there was actual kind of levels to it, like embossing, debossing, that kind of thing going on? Yes, okay. yes, yes. How would you achieve that? Uh, with layers of um, mat board. Okay. I mean, the, the labor process on all of these is ridiculous. It, it really sounds it. Yeah. Um, these are not, I don't, I'm not getting a made in China, folks. Um, and, you know, I think each one takes, depending on which issue, anywhere between like 10 to 45 minutes per copy to make. Um, so uh, if I sell them at a, at a show like Ape at a price, or Zine Fest, um, at a price that anybody, could bear to part with, uh, then my, my labor is below minimum wage for sure. But you know, it's, it's about the art. It's a labor of love. That's why I have a a day job. You know, that's why I'm a a sellout instead of a real artist like my (laughs) friends. Oh, I don't know. There's a lot of debate in, in that direction. We won't even go there. Uh, there's a lot of cartoonists. I think we'd love to see more books coming out from instead of more title cards on animation. Um, that's just me. Anyway. Um. Uh, so uh, I actually have a question for... Let me get closer. So I actually have a question for you um, as I am sort of, um, you know, not... I don't have a regular relationship with a publisher and I haven't uh, had a relationship with Diamond for a while. What's happening in the industry? It looks like, from my point of view... Uh, Things were very interesting in terms of independent comics in the 90s, and then they kind of got bad, and now it seems like they're getting really, really good. There's a lot of stuff out there. What What's it like? I think that was almost two questions, but I'm not sure you finished asking the first one about Diamond. Oh, um, no, I was just saying that I, I, I actually um, I did an anthology many, many moons ago and had right. a relationship with them. Yeah, Diamond's a funny case. Um you know, I don't want to give anything away here, but uh, they're they're so focused on the week to week, the month to month, um, and function very differently from regular book publishing, um, which is sort of you know if you have a book, you want it to have this lifespan. Uh, they only go so far in enabling that. As far as the small press stuff, um, if you can get through all the Cave Woman stuff and other things in the previews catalog that comes out every month from Diamond, you'll find a surprising amount of really interesting and obscure small press stuff. Um, you know, like real limited edition things that maybe came over from Europe or, you know, some guy you've never heard of. All manner of things. Um, comics that are from some of the bigger publishers that maybe would never get on your radar otherwise. Or, you know, or like say as a regular bookstore, you, you wouldn't necessarily see it in, but it's there's this access to it in comics. I, you know, I think they get maybe too much of a bad rap for I don't know, homogenizing it. I don't, I don't really know what people's complaint is. Um, I know as a publisher and as a store, you know, there's all sorts of problems. Like there isn't any kind of relationship like that. You know, it's, it's a, a lot, but uh, yeah, t- right now there is just so many comics coming out that even, you know, in a place like wow, cool, where it's kind of our job to know, you know, what's the latest and the greatest. I don't have a clue. There's hundreds of comics I'm never going to see. I'll never be able to get them in here. A lot of times it's just they're limited printings. They're not going to be reprinted. Uh, the cost is prohibitive. You know, a lot of the books you see are very nice, um, but they cost, you know, X amount 
uh, for the artist to produce and there's no real way to make that work for a shop where we can then buy it and then sell it for what's a reasonable price to the consumer. Um, it's interesting. And you know, there's, there's a million different scenarios like that. Um, they're all, all different variations on, you know, how you find out about things, how you can get things in, um, what people are exposed to. And it's always kind of shifting in subtle ways is is my kind of take on it. Um, you know, I, I I try to, to get when I can, but there's, there's just more out there than you can even hope to ever look at or get a hold of to read no matter how long you scroll through Tumblr with like the best fellows. Well, it's a huge honor to have, uh, you know, been selected as uh, one of the artists to uh, to be in this shop. This is one of my favorite comic stores in, well, I was going to say in the world, but I, I haven't been to many comic book stores outside of the country. Uh, there's one in Queens that's pretty good. There are a couple in San Francisco that are pretty good. Uh, but there's absolutely nothing in the whole South Bay Area that's anything like this. Uh, your selection of independent and eclectic and up-and-coming and classic and international stuff, uh, somewhat to the detriment of the stuff that I'm not interested in, like, you know, I, I don't need the latest Hawkman or whatever, whoever's out there these days. I bet I bet you've got that too, though. We have some recent Hawkeye. I don't I don't know about Hawkman. I I need to look into this. But thanks, Peter. Uh, <laughs> I can I can guarantee we're the best comic book shop in Monta Vista. Um, but beyond that, um, but yeah, thanks. Yeah, no, it's a I I really love this place. Um, it's a very dangerous place, as I I think I mentioned before the mic started rolling. It's a dangerous place for me because. I always leave with something. Well, we're not going to complain. <laughs> well, thanks for hanging out with me. and um... Great. All right. Go team. Go team. <laughs> <It'll be fun. laughs>